Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode number 39, I'm speaking to Brandon Smith. Brandon is currently the Executive Vice President and General Counsel at CHS Inc. For those of you who don't know, CHS is a global agribusiness, Fortune 100, um, owned by farmers, ranchers and co-ops. So it's a marvellous discussion. Uh, Brandon takes us through his journey, including the early formative years at Kirkland and Ellis and how that kind of provided a super grounding for him before he took on uh, the journey in-house, first at Teneco and then most recently at CHS. There's lots of things to call out on this episode, but there's a couple that really stand out, a couple of things that really stand out for me. One is Brandon's advice of leaning in at a time of crisis. We talk about that and how it's often our natural inclination to step away and protect ourselves, but his advice to lean in at that point of time Um, I think is superb. And a second bit of advice he gives, which really resonated with me, being a business person first and a lawyer second, and how that has put him in great stead for the advancement that he's made in his in-house career. So it's it's a marvelous discussion. And I love the way we finish it off too, because you could see how passionate Brandon is about now working at CHS and the and the goals they're looking to achieve there and the people they're looking to help. And and that being able to develop and bring your own skills and experience is something that you're really passionate about. That's something that we're all striving for. So, so kudos to Brandon. It's a fantastic discussion. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Brandon Smith, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Well, thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to it. And without further ado, I'd love to kick off and get to know you a little bit more and hopefully have an opportunity for you to get to know let's, me. Let's launch in. Let's do that. So let's kick off where I usually like to kick off, Brandon. Tell us a little bit about the Brandon Smith story. How did you even start in your um, legal career path? What ignited the flame for you? Was there an aha moment? Take me back to those really early days. Well, you know, it's a great question. It's one that I think back to fondly. It was actually when I was still in undergraduate school. One of them was working at an investment bank, and that bank was part of a larger bank that was at the time experimenting with getting back into insurance. You know, back in the day when Glass-Steagall was not a dirty word, there were banks that were really heavily interested in re-entering into the insurance markets. And when that was happening, I was put on a project to work with the general counsel of that division on looking at all the different regulatory issues they would have to deal with, as well as what the structures they would set up if they were gonna actually launch this venture. And all in all, I was this venture. And all in all, I enjoyed working with that general counsel, seeing how they were mixing a little bit of business and law together, uh, the autonomy and the role, but, but really being a solutions provider is something that just applies to a different career path that I had to a different career path that I had at that point never considered. And from there, I decided that I was going to apply for law school and the rest is history, as they say. Brandon, what was it that was piquing the interest? Was it 
you've mentioned it, it was the GC's interaction with the various different businesses, the, the crossover with legal. Of course, at this point, you hadn't had any legal training. I'd be interested, what are the kind of the triggers for you that are saying, oh, this is something that might, um, might interest me as a career path? Well, you know, it really was the fact that this particular gentleman was approaching every single problem as a business person first who happens to be a lawyer, not a lawyer who happens to be working in a business. And up until that point, my interactions with lawyers were always folks that were lawyers first. And because of that, a lot of the characteristics of lawyers, the jokes about lawyers, that's kind of how I thought about attorneys. Same thing goes for the attorneys that we would watch on television. That really shaped my perspective of what the legal practice was like. But watching him really act as a business person, but who had the skills of being a great negotiator, a person who understand or understood how laws and regulations affect the economy and how you can work within those in order to generate a very profitable business and a return for your investors. That combination was something that was unique to me at that time and something that I really wanted to learn more about and be a part of. So, Brandon, I really like that. I'm not sure I've heard it put that way, but I do like the business person first lens and the kind of rather than the lawyer first lens. And now that you've said that, I have to say, I think that's been a common theme when I've asked general counsel before, what is it that's got them to where they where they are today and what's made them stand out from, let's say, the others during in their journey and as they rise through the ranks? I, If I'd actually put it that way, was it because you were being business first and lawyer second? Um, I expect I would have got a whole lot of endorsement because I think, although they didn't use that language, I think that's a common theme that we've heard throughout a number of the discussions that we've had. Well, simple piece, people use simple phrases. Yeah, and we'll come back to the importance of that early mentoring too, because it sounds like the general counsel that you were working with in those early days was really influential. So I'd like to come back to that. But before we do that, you go through law school, your early training is with just a, a small law firm, Kirkland and Ellis. Okay, so tell us about those first few years and what the, what your, what your how that provided a grounding for you. What was perhaps... What worked and what didn't work when you then transitioned into in-house? So tell us about those early years. Kirkland, by far, is a phenomenal training ground. And given the opportunity, I would do it all over again. Not only was Kirkland a place where I was able to learn a lot about the practice of law in a corporate-type environment, that many of the clients that I worked with were either public companies or private equity sponsors that were acquiring businesses for their portfolios. And what Kirkland, I think, did so well and continues to do well from what I can understand is that they will give you as much responsibility as you take on and succeed with. And because of that, as a first year and a second year associate there, by the time that I was, I think, about halfway through my first year, I had already started to kind of move beyond doing due diligence and work on drafting. And then by the time I was the second year, I was staffing deals. And I had people that were working for the, the deals that I was putting together. Now, obviously, there was a partner that ultimately had responsibility. And I worked with many, many great partners who helped me become the lawyer that I am today. And I will be forever grateful to the learnings that I had while I was there. But it was that great environment that they set up so that you could learn from those attorneys in that practice and doing it in a way where at your own pace, if you could take on more, you could do more. 
that was something that I found to be remarkably rewarding, but also allowed me to really get a lot of experience there in a very short period of time, and then leverage that into future roles that I had once I left the firm and joined the corporations following it. And again, a very um, consistent theme we hear amongst successful GCs, those early days, especially at a top quality firm and the training that you get from that, it is very hard to, to better that as, as a grounding. So after three years, you've decided, you know what, I'm going to move in-house. Tell me about the decision, about the thinking behind that, why that move, and tell me how well prepared you think you were. I think you joined Tenneco, and you were there for, for 12 years, rising to the senior VP and GC position before your current position at CHS. So tell me about those early days, the transition, what you were well and not well prepared for, and then we'll, we'll do a bit more of a deeper dive as you, um, as you progress at Tenneco. Well, the long and short of it is I could have stayed at Kirkland for a very long period of time. I was very happy there, really enjoyed the practice that I had, the, the team that I was working with and supporting, the clients I was supporting, brought the world to them, and they were doing great things for me that, again, I'll always be appreciative of. While I was there, I started to get a number of calls from recruiters about joining other law firms, particularly as they were building their Asia practice. So this was going on in around 2005 and 2006. You remember those days, that's when firms were putting a lot of money into China and even still into Japan and Hong Kong, but I wasn't interested in moving my life there and that uh, my now wife was still in medical school at the time and uh, it just wasn't in the cards to be leaving her behind in the United States. And I told the recruiters, if you ever find an interesting position at a corporation that has an ethical management team a great business case. Call me back when, 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 it, when you think that the time is right, and I'd love to talk to you. And about eight months later, I got a call back. And to make a long story short, when I did the interviews at Tenneco, it was clear that was the place I wanted to go. I could see that Tenneco was on the rise. They had technology to help companies or help their customers, companies, lower their emissions significantly not that many companies in the world that could do what Tenneco could. And therefore, that seemed like a pretty good company to join. When I measured that up against a solid management team, as well as a law department structure, where it was also clear that there would be some room to continue to grow, it was a very easy choice to join the company. And boy, am I glad that I did. In those early days when you did transition and you've suddenly become an in-house lawyer, how well prepared do you think you were? You know, Kirkland actually prepared me phenomenally well in ways that I could not have foreseen while I was still at KD. I think I accepted the job in January of 2008, but didn't join until July because I wanted to close some deals and make sure that I left Kirkland the right way. Kirkland had done so many nice things for me, I didn't want to leave anyone in a bad position. And joined Tenneco in July of 2008. You know what happens two or three months after that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, a small firm called Lehman Brothers all of a sudden, right? And shockwaves across the world. And I'm sitting there thinking, boy, did I just make the biggest mistake of my young career joining an automotive company on the beginning of this pretty significant recession here? But actually, it turned out to be a phenomenal opportunity because while I was at Kirkland, while I had done a lot of M&A transactions and public company support, I also had done a bankruptcy for a company called Musicland. And Musicland was uh, back in the days when people didn't get their music 
on their iPod when they would still go back into the store and buy a CD. They would go to a store often called Camelot or Musicland, and Musicland was going through the bankruptcy. Another associate and I made 63 sale ourselves with some support from a partner there who, again, recognized that we could handle it. We were, boy, am I glad that, that, that he did let us do that because I learned a lot about bankruptcy law in a short period of time. And Tenneco needed somebody who could help the company not only navigate that, but also determine its strategy to how to stay out of bankruptcy and position itself to be a preferred vendor for these customers. Long story short, the general counsel at the time recognized that I had that skill set. And before I knew it, I was sitting in the CEO's office advising him at about 28 years old, only a few years, uh, only actually about six to eight months into the company. And those relationships that were formed there really allowed me to be able to take the confidence that was being built up to then leverage those into future roles of advancing responsibility at Tenneco and something I'll always, again, be very appreciative to those individuals that were running at the time, running the company at the time for giving me those opportunities to perform for them and for our shareholders. How about that, though, Brandon, as a story of the stars kind of aligning? Firstly, it looks like, oh God, it could be the worst decision you could have made. But then with a little bit of time and seeing how the events unfold, it ends up being a great opportunity and a great leveraging of the earlier skill sets. And you, a lot of this stuff you can't plan in your career. You know, there's the old work, uh, there's the hard work, there's the bit of luck involved and the opportunity in being able to take that opportunity. So I love how all that kind of comes together for you so that six or eight months in, you're in the CEO's office at Tenneco helping manage what is going to be, what is probably up until that point, the most difficult period a number of companies are experiencing, especially with you know, whether they're threat of bankruptcy themselves or their major customers. That must have been an incredibly formative period for you so early in your career. Well, it, it, it certainly was, and I, I talk a lot of that decision to hang with Tenneco up to some great advice that my father had given to me, and that he said, you know, in times of crisis, there's two types of people. There are people that will say, you know what, I need to protect myself, and they start to back away. There are other people then who say, you know what, I'm going to lean in, and I'm going to try to help the organization, I'm going to try to help others, because lo and behold, that usually is all solved. And he and I had a conversation, I remember very vividly, and he gave me that advice again. And the next day I walked into the general counsel's office and I said, listen, I, I understand that this is gonna be a pretty tough time. And I wanna tell you, I'm not here to ask you for anything. What I'm here to offer you is, however I can be helpful to navigate through this period, you can count on me to do it. And I'm not gonna to talk to you about going back to my law firm, I'm gonna to talk to you about how I can be a part of what you're trying to accomplish here and make sure we do the right thing for our shareholders. And that general counsel, his name was Dave Wardell, looked at me and he said, Brandon, that was the most mature thing that I think I've heard in quite a while. And of course, I had to acknowledge, well, I didn't come up with it all on my own. I thank a lot of that for some great advice that I've been given, which is advice that I've been given, uh, which is moments when you yeah. and I can help people by being great mentors. And I will always be appreciative to the, to the mentors I've had. It's something that I hope that as leaders, we all can do is pay that forward and make sure that the next generation can benefit from the hard lessons we've learned along the way as well. Brandon, again, I just love that insight. I love the way you, your father articulated that, to be able to, those two types of people and be able to be one that leans in in a time of crisis rather than sometimes what our natural instinct is self-preservation. And sometimes you've got, to, you've got to fight hard against that 
because it is natural and it's you know whether it's you know, thousands of years of evolution it is about self it's often the natural way you lean but to be able to fight that and lean into problem in the crisis uh, i think that's a fantastic well fantastic attribute and a fantastic lesson and a message to get out there to particularly those earlier in their career because clearly for for Dave Wardell, when he heard that from you, that made a difference. And even though it wasn't yours, as in, you know, it wasn't your insight, it certainly, it meant that he could then rely on you. And in a time of crisis, that's what you want to be able to do with your team. You want to have complete reliance on those around you and know that they're all supporting and rowing in the same direction and uh, all with the, the common objective rather than necessarily the, the you know, the personal preservation. You know, it's funny, as they say, history may not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. <laughs> and I do recall a number of times since then, we're being able to employ that advice, both on my own behalf, because I think, as you mentioned, and you're spot on about this, it is a very human and natural reaction to want to try to exercise self-preservation. And it's a good reminder, I think, to all of ourselves, but also I try to use that with empathy, because when we're dealing with our teams, you're going to recognize it just as I have too. When someone's going through a tough situation, that may be their natural reaction. And to try to help them think through how to channel that in a way that is going to be more productive for their career as others are watching how they're reacting to the situation and ultimately more productive for the organization, the team that they're a part of. And that's certainly been a lesson I've tried to be able to help characterize and carry on for many others. And I think it can give us a remarkable sense of purpose in these positions of leadership that we're fortunate enough to have. Yeah, Ran and I absolutely agree. And in those early days when you're in that you know, early part of your career, you haven't had the experience, you haven't had the learnings, and being able to seek out the kind of mentors and the leaders that are going to provide those for you, because you don't know, you haven't seen what's good and what's not good. And sometimes there requires some forgiveness, I think, too, in the early years when you haven't seen that and you haven't been, haven't had the opportunity to to go through teams and experience leadership like the, the leadership that we're talking about. You've had clearly formative experience at, um, at, at Teneco. So you were there 12 years. I, I was going to ask what, was, what are some of the most difficult things you did there. So I think we've certainly touched upon that. Tell me about the latter part of your career there, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move into your current position at CHS. Sure. Well, it, and maybe I'll start it with the, the moment that I was offered the position to become the general counsel yep. there. And that uh, that's one that I'll always remember quite fondly. Jim Harrington. Jim was somebody who was also kind enough to really help me find new opportunities, but also be seen by others as a potential future leader. And ultimately, that paid some great dividends because uh, one day Jim gave me a call and said, Brandon, I just wanted to let you know that. Uh, he had accepted a position to become the general counsel of another company. And that company based in England, so he was going to be moving away in about one month's period of time. And that set off, uh, obviously, a very interesting set of events, which ultimately culminated in the, uh, the CEO of, of Teneco and the board of directors offering me the position to become general counsel. These are pivotal moments, of course. And certainly our listeners, one question I often get is, what do you think are the kind of the characteristics that's making you kind of stand out from the pack to be able to be chosen for the GC position? If you could pick two or three, and perhaps when you're looking for those characteristics now in your senior 
uh, leadership team. What are the two or three things that you think are the making the difference or the certainly that are really critical to provide the kind of opportunities that you've been provided for and, and to take on that um, the most senior legal position in an organisation like Tanaco and now CHS? One that when I was in the deputy general counsel role and thinking about how to continue to grow my career, I spent a lot of time talking to other general counsels about about what would be the characteristics and the key experiences that I should make sure that I build up. I was relatively younger in age than most of the other folks that would be going into those, uh, historically going into those roles, and that that would be something I would have to overcome from a uh, perception perspective. And what I really did focus on is something that I continue to talk to uh, other attorneys that aspire to be GCs to make sure they focus on, is that it comes down to two major items, in my opinion. One is building relationships of trust and confidence. And two is making sure that you can be the best business partner for the organization that you possibly can be. That as the general counsel, you are gonna be a partner through and through to ensure that the company can meet its mission with that confidence, with that trust, to do so on a regular basis. And that's certainly what I try to make sure that I establish with each new senior management team member, that that's kind of the baseline. And then from there, everything else is additive. But I really do think that you need to establish those two items in order to be even, let's say, in the pool of the potential selection process to become a general counsel. Being the best business partner for the organization and being able to actually achieve or help facilitate and achieve the goals of the organization. So then, I mean, you had four years then at at Teneco as the Senior Vice President General Counsel. Tell me when you then went to CHS and you've got, you've been chosen, of course, you've done your research and the homework and the learnings from the other discussions you've had with GCs as to what you think is going to make and your experience as to what makes a great General Counsel. What are the first hundred days like? Or what, how do you wrap your arms around what you're going to do at a new organisation now to make the kind of impact you're looking to to make building the relationships and helping the organisation achieve the company goals. Tell me about that that initial period and 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 what you do to to start on that the new journey for yourself at CHS. Maybe to answer that, I'll just kind of frame up why I chose to leave Tenneco and, and yep. come to CHS because yep. it all ties into hundred day plan with with the help of some very exceptional partners here at CHS. At Tenneco, uh, we had just kind of gone through a period where we had purchased another large company. Then, of course, kind of went through a few years of of owning that combined business. Tenneco owned the combined business. And we had a few rounds of activist investors, and we were very successful at steering the company to an outcome that our shareholders felt positive about. All those things, I, again, will be so happy to have been able to take a part in. And I remember kind of sitting down and talking with my wife and I said, wow, you know, we've, we've accomplished a lot of great things at Tenneco over these years, you know, getting to the general counsel role, helping to, uh, let's say, issues that come with activist investors and getting the company now to a point of stability. This should be a pretty nice period now where Tenneco, I think, will have some stability. And she said, boy, that's great. You know, so we can all just kind of, you know, relax for a while. And I kind of looked at her and smiled because... I had gotten a call recently <laughs> about CHS looking for a general counsel. And I said, well, actually, up in Minnesota, looking for a general counsel. They're a great business, about 30 to $35 billion in revenue. 
you know, a little bit bigger than, than, than Tenneco. Their mission is about creating these connections that empower agriculture and making sure that rural America is equipped to be strong, helping also outfit nations of leaders in rural Americas. Wouldn't it be great to go up and have an opportunity to work for a large multinational enterprise, just like what we're doing today at Tenneco, with communities that she and I both have, have just felt so passionate about. My mom grew up on a dairy farm, incredibly tough decision to leave Tenneco, friends and others that we've just worked so closely with and wish the best, but that's ultimately how I got to CHS. So when you ask the question about building that 100-day plan, it really was all about taking this vision that the company had, my own personal passion for agriculture, and building a reputation as early as I could with the key stakeholders in the company, both the senior management team, the CEO, but then also the board of directors to let them know that my main reason of coming to the company is to help make sure that the company can meet its vision and deliver on that promise to rural America, make sure that it stays strong and outfit its future leaders for success. I love that you are combining, you know, some of your natural passions with the skills and the experience that you've developed and to, with, with a view to really making a difference and empowering the agricultural community, rural, rural America. It must be very energizing, I imagine, having moved into that position and kind of starting afresh a little bit, as we all do when we move into a new organization and kind of setting the scene for the next stage in your career. And one where, as I said, you've, you've managed to combine passion with experience and making a real difference in the community. That's absolutely objective. And it was certainly one of the primary features that was so attractive to me about coming up here to CHS. I can tell you the entire management team lives and breathes that every day. Really built as advertised, and it starts with our CEO, Jay Deberton. Yep. He's somebody who's been at the company for a long period of time and is just so committed to making sure that we live out that value of our cooperative spirit, how we connect with our members and our owners, how you see us going out and conduct business in the country. It's something that just permeates the entire organization. It is really special, I think, when all any organization, I mean, all organizations talk about a mission statement, a North Star and so forth, but when it when it's kind of feels like it's, sometimes it's not tangible and sometimes it's hard to really get employees invested, personally invested, because it is, sometimes it's hard to have a tangible thing that you can be passionate about. But it just sounds like to me, you've got a really... CHS has got a really clear North Star, a really clear goal and objective of the, making the difference to those, that community in those lives. And that's something that you can, you can really personally invest in. And if you can do that at the, you know, basically across the organisation, that is so empowering. You see it in employees right from the most junior level through to the CEO. It's a pretty powerful cocktail mix, if I can put it that way, which can lead to great and just energizing and, you know, gets you out of bed, jumping out of bed rather than kind of rolling out and just kind of with less, you know, with, with you know, perhaps not as much enthusiasm. So, um, and I can hear it in your voice too. So it's, um, it's pretty inspirational stuff. No, and it's, it's, I like how you describe that because when you ask somebody at the company who they work for and what they do, how big of a smile do they have yep. when they're telling the story. And at CHS, it's almost universal. That's the way that people feel and the emotion that comes across when they tell you about what they're doing here. 
Tell me about what you've been doing in the legal department there. Any specific initiatives that you've focused on? What are the top two or three priorities that you've got for the legal department there at CHS? Yep. One is talent development. And that to me, it's always been a personal passion, talent development, primarily because I was the beneficiary of so many great talent leaders coming up through my career. At Kirkland, I could list you the names of many, many people, Jeremy List, Doug Gessner, of course, with Brian Kessler, Greg Bolt, Greg Sherrill, all these folks that were leaders at the company that fortunately it's here, it's present. And what we're doing is that we're not building it from scratch. It's building off of a wonderful foundation that this team had already put into place. Remote work obviously shakes the whole model up. And then in the past, you could do talent development live and in person. Well, now we've got employees living all over the country and may not be coming into the office as much as, as, as we might have used to. So our approach to talent development, making sure that they're not left out or left behind is key and critical. And then, of course, our IND approach, you know, really thinking about what inclusion and diversity means in a company yeah. like CHS. How do we make sure that we are exposing ourselves to the best talent that's out there and making sure we're looking in the right places and not just in the places that we historically have been. And it's funny, when you do that, you end up with a pretty inclusive and diverse team coming on the back end of it. We had that success at Tenneco, and I know we're gonna have that same success here at CHS. And it's all about being really clear and deliberate in the strategies that you're adopting to achieve those outcomes, rather than kind of hopeful or rely on happenstance. So I don't know whether that you know whether that resonates with you, Brandon. But you know the clarity and um, and and being deliberate with the steps you're putting in place that that's what makes the difference. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I think to folks why we're doing what we're doing, why it's good for them, why it's good for the organization. Because I find that when when we really kind of take things down to the most simple terms, people get on board pretty fast. Everybody says, "Yeah, I, I can align with that. I can understand it." Where where we've had challenges in the past is when we try to tiptoe around things and use phrases that may sound like interpreted in a way that isn't intended. At the end of the day, right, our, our goal is to create an environment where everybody feels included. Everybody feels that they have a voice that can be heard. And we do it in a way for that for those that want to put in the time to advance their career, everybody's going to have an opportunity to do that here at CHS. So what have you spent too much time worrying about in the past, which on reflection has not been time well spent, Brandon? How people would view someone my age trying the general counsel at Tenneco. You know, I've, I've learned with some great advice from mentors, because you're going to let it matter. Let your performance speak for itself. And I've tried ways that perhaps they can let that get out of their own head. At the end of the day, if what you can change, you can control, is how you approach it and the performance you deliver. I like the way you put that, you know, the, the personal barriers, and we all kind of have them, whether we think they're it's our age, whether it's where we've come from, the experience that we've had, whatever it is, if we can step outside of that and, and do exactly what you said, let performance speak, because as we all know, it speaks so much louder than what might be your own you know, personal barriers. So I really like the way you put that. And to wrap up, last question for you, Brandon, before we finish off, finish off, Anything that keeps you up at night now? The main thing that keeps me up at night, pretty good growth rates to now into inflation and into a period that I'm not sure anyone knows what's on the back end of that. Will it be a more stable period of companies are 
really going to find themselves in some challenging situations because I think that a lot of the excess that was built up here over the course of the last 12 months, it's going to work itself out at some point. And when it does, is that going to create an environment that's less stable? We can help those teams try to see around corners, recognize the trends as they're emerging so that we can position our organizations to be successful, even in these volatile environments. Yeah, yeah Brandon, I hear you. I think it's been certainly the last 24 months or so. The growth we've all experienced, the, the challenges, I have the same kind of nervousness about the, what the next 12, 24, 36 months might look like. And typically, you know, the bit about seeing around the corner, we can, we all do our best to do that, but typically it ends up being something that not too many people have seen. So every time there's a shift or there's a change, I won't call it necessarily black swan, but it's typically something that very few of us have, um, have forecast, and it's only obvious in hindsight. So um, I don't know whether that's going to be the case here, and I don't know whether it is imminent or one or two years away, but I hear you in the level of kind of uncertainty and on the occasional sleepless night thinking about it too. I think I'm with you on that one. Brandon, fantastic to have you on board. I really enjoyed our discussion. Hopefully, I'm sure the audience has too. Um, Thanks so much for joining me. It's been a blast. I've really enjoyed having a chance to talk with you as well. Fantastic. Bye-bye for now. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.